The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, if you imagine your blood sugar is high more often than not when you're asleep, that's a solid six, seven, eight hours that your blood sugar is high. Now, if you multiply that by three, six, five, that's 2,555 hours a year. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, everybody. How's it going? I appreciate you tuning in for another episode of the Insulone Podcast with myself, Insulone Costello. Well, my name isn't actually Insulone, but I'm hoping at this stage you've gathered that it's a play on words. So, Insulin Owen. Insulone. Anyway, I digress. We have another fantastic episode for you this week, and I am lucky enough to explore these factors with my good friend, Mr. Graham O'Toole. Graham, what's happening? Let's explore. Shall we say what's actually (laughs) happening? Should we say how it's not as separated week by week as we usually are? This is like... I don't want to lie to the listeners, to be honest. We're kind of in podcast overload. We're doing two in two days because you're having a little bit of a break next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were like, can we record two this week and then put out the second one next week? I said, Owen, I will do anything for the type one diabetic community. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You anything. need to get diagnosed with diabetes, <laughs> then you'll do everything. Uh, so we're recording a little bit later. We'll see how fun this podcast goes because it's a little bit later. We're probably a little bit tired. Usually we record mm. around afternoon time. It's 11 minutes past seven in the evening right now. Uh, but I'm just after having my dinner. I'd like to get your opinion on my dinner on. Okay. Mm. Had sweet potatoes, standard, with a few mm. mushrooms and peppers because I'm absolutely stuffed after that. Um, but I had sirloin steak. But then in the fridge, I also saw a massive sausage and I was about to go off. But inside the sausage, it was with black pudding inside the sausage. There's some new sausages that were like Clonakilty black pudding with like <laughs> infused with it. So it was just like a load of meat. How would that go down with you? Yeah, I, I sure, you know, I eat a big protein diet anyway. Yeah. So I'm big on steak, chicken, turkey, tuna, 
Sausages so, yeah. mixed with black pudding in the inside. Do you, know, do you know what? Now that you mention it, I was I was in the car this morning and I was listening to your radio station. Oh. And you were talking about sausages earlier today too. Oh, what was I talking about? Weren't you? You were morning. talking about Nathan was talking about some really expensive fry. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gordon Ramsay is releasing a fry for nineteen pound. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, I was well. What I'll tell you the story. Gordon Ramsay. You obviously know him all around the world for world famous chef. He's releasing a fancy fry, a fry up for breakfast for nineteen pound, but he's only including one sausage. And I've no time for a fry that's any less than three sausages. It has to have at least three. If you're going to go all out and have a fry up, you might as well get as much pig on that plate as you can. <laughs> Just as much of anything on a plate. Actually, now I, I, now I have you. That's the way it is. You actually, I think you were listening to the show the other morning as well, because I forgot to say to you, our producer watches all the messages that come through, and we were talking yeah, about... Yeah, go on. I forgot about this. We were talking <laughs> about having nightmares of people moving into your gaff, moving into your house. Yeah, I messaged and you didn't even you didn't even talk about it on the show. I was I was very upset. You see, I don't see the messages and only our producer said afterwards, uh, do you know this Owen Costello guy? And I was like, yeah, well, what's, what's that chap saying? That's <laughs> yeah. in my radio show. He's like, oh yeah, it was just a reference to Canada. He goes, what about a guy who says, we're only getting started? What, what is that a reference to? I was like, oh, that was Owen when we first met and he was very excited about moving into our house in Canada. But that's a story for another episode. Yeah, I think we might have to get a few more episodes of this podcast in before we start talking about some, some real life stories. Well, we could do that. Uh, Owen's diary one year after being diagnosed because that was your first oh, year no. of diagnosis. So we'll see what, uh, what you were like. <laughs> oh, there's a few dodgy stories in there. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's talk about this week's episode. We are on episode number 30. We are sticking with the 42 factors that affect your blood sugar level. And this week we are talking about sleep and how it can affect you. Uh, we've touched on it in the past. I know sleep is very important. You've said you've had dreams before where you've mm-hmm. been going into a hypo. Uh, but how can sleep in general affect your blood sugar levels? Now, sleep as a whole can can affect your stress levels, your insulin resistance, your insulin sensitivity. So it's massively important that you get yourself in a nice sleeping routine. But this week, I actually wanted to specifically talk about your blood sugars while you're asleep. And not just how sleep affects your blood sugar, but basically your blood sugar while you sleep, if that makes sense. So either sleeping while your blood sugar is high or sleeping and waking up with a low blood sugar. So I think if if there is a diabetic listening right now, which I'm hoping there is, just like me, I'm sure you know, it's quite difficult to get a steady relieving night's sleep that isn't interrupted with anything related to diabetes or your blood sugar or waking up at a low or waking up at a high. So I suppose I wanted to talk about how you can kind of flatline those blood sugars for a full night's sleep. So you can wake up in the morning, you can see that flat graph, you can see happy numbers in the morning, and you can hopefully avoid any highs or lows throughout the night. So I think a big part of keeping your blood sugar steady throughout the night, it's not, I suppose the issue lies in the fact that it's not just the individual night that causes issues. It's kind of the ripple effect of your blood sugar. So it's how your blood sugar 
is at night can lead you into the next day. So your blood sugar can impact you that way. It's like if you wake up with your blood sugar high in the morning, it's not a great start to the day. You may overcorrect with insulin. You can go low and then that just kind of goes on and on and on and on into your day. Or else on the other side of that, you could wake up low in the middle of the night. You could overtreat that low, which we have, which we have done plenty of times. And then again, that ripple effect leading into the next day, waking up, your blood sugar is through the roof. You feel like shit. And the last thing you want to do is get out of bed. And also, I was, I suppose when I was just kind of looking over a few different details for preparation of this, this episode, I was looking into the time you spend while you're asleep. All right, let's say on average, people get six to se- six, seven, eight hours sleep each night. So if you imagine your blood sugar is high more often than not when you're asleep, that's a solid six, seven, eight hours that your blood sugar is high. Now, if you multiply that, I'm just, I have my phone here. If you multiply, let's do, let's do seven hours. So if you multiply seven by three, six, five, that's 2,555 hours a year that your blood sugar could be in a high range. Yeah. Now with diabetes, because it's an invisible disease and because you, I suppose you can kind of, it's, it's not like it's plastered on your face. So because of that, it's almost like sometimes there can be less of an incentive for people to look after it because you can walk down the street and people aren't going to look at you as if you have two heads because you can hide it. So I suppose that can influence how you treat it and whether or not you give it its deserved attention. So if you're going... I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, Graham. But That's all just, right. No, just no, go, no, just no, go with me. Right. No, you're right. Yeah, go on. So if you imagine, and a lot of people, and particularly a lot of people that I've spoken to recently, they sleep with their blood sugar very high. So if they're getting that seven hours of sleep each night, that's over 2,500 hours a year with high blood sugar. Would that be the fear of going into a hypo during your sleep? It could be, Is that why? Do people purposely go high due to basically hypo-anxiety? A lot of the time, yeah, because as a diabetic, you're, you're... biggest fear nearly is to drop low but the consequence of that fear and that hypo anxiety is the fact that i'm going to treat a hypo before it even before it even happens so i'm treating an imaginary hypo because of the fear i have of going low so as a result of that you potentially could sleep these seven hours a night high blood sugar that's a lot of hours each year that you're in a hyperglycemic state, which is high blood sugar. And as we all know, if your blood sugar is consistently high over an extended period of time, that inevitably is going to lead to long-term complications. And those long-term complications are definitely, definitely things we want to avoid, you know, because it's neuropathy, liver, kidney damage, eye damage, heart damage. It's so it's, I suppose I want to talk about how we can avoid it. Yeah. What leads you to having a high or a low during your sleep? And 
the steps you can take to avoid it at all costs. Let's start with a low. Hypoglycemia, it's something that people are very much aware of, very much afraid of going into hypoglycemic state. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, so as if as if low blood sugars weren't bad enough as it is, if you wake up in the middle of the night with a low blood sugar, that is just a whole different story. So they're formerly known as nocturnal hypoglycemia. That's obviously a nighttime low blood sugar. So when you wake up in the middle of the night with a low blood sugar, it's possibly the worst feeling in the world. It's depending on how low you are, it's your body shutting down. It's like a near death experience because it's almost like you wake up just by the skin of your teeth and then you're sweating, you're shaking and you struggle to even lift your head up off the bed to treat that low. So it's hugely important to avoid that at all costs. And going back to what I was just talking about, that in itself is a reason for people to treat that imaginary hypo before it happens, because that is the worst thing that can happen to you. Because if you wake up low, it's almost like that near death experience. And I describe it as if it's like you're underwater. Because when you're underwater, nothing really else is on your mind. You're only focused on, oh shit, I'm underwater. I I need to get some air pretty quick. And it's like that when you have a low blood sugar. There's nothing else on your mind but glucose, energy, bring this back up because I am about to pass out here. So part of the problem with having a low blood sugar, obviously, the, the immediate fear, the immediate shock and near trauma of the feeling itself. But also, because you're more likely to go lower than you would if you were conscious, your, your blood sugar is even lower than you would expect it to be at all. So when you get down to the kitchen, you're a lot more likely to overly treat that hypo. And then, like I was talking about earlier, that ripple effect leading into the next day. So... It's happened to me countless of times over the years where wake up with a really low blood sugar, you're thinking, oh my God, I am about, I am about to die here. That's what it feels like. Your, your body's just shutting down. You need to get that glucose in. So you waddle downstairs in your boxers or whatever it is. And I, I just open any cupboard and just shovel any amount of food into me and graham you know how much food i eat anyway (laughs) this is on a whole new level i remember you were describing one of them before and you said you were like a bear in the kitchen (laughs) just grabbing everything and shoveling in was like a load of weedabix and you're just eating the dry weedabix and just shoveling into your mouth to try and get anything at all that you could and I've, i've tried so many times to try and explain this feeling to somebody who doesn't have diabetes but it's honestly impossible i'm try. i'm trying to imagine what it's like but it's, i'm i'm sure i i actually can't imagine <laughs> yeah. you know oh, because i i know <laughs> this is a horrible horrible like similarity but i once what? stayed in a house that was the worst house i've ever stayed in my life and when i explain that to the people, house in canada <laughs> <laughs> yeah go on. but when i try to explain how bad it was Nobody will ever understand how bad this house was. There was a dog locked in the basement. There was a carcass of a cooked chicken on the ground. There was sheets hanging from the ceiling. There was plasters in the bed. And everyone's like, God, that sounds really bad. But I'm like, I know I'm explaining how bad it is. And I'm trying to paint you the picture. But you will never understand how bad it was. There was eight of us in the house that night. And we know how bad it was. And that's what I'm 
when you were trying to describe it there, and I'm sure the type one diabetics listening know exactly what you're talking about, but yeah. I will, I'll, I'll never be able to get it. And that's where just, was this house? Did you say it was outside of Multi Farnham? I remember I was DJing the thirtieth of a friend's sister on New Year's Eve, maybe about four years ago, and it's a <laughs> mansion. But it was, it was literally like people left the house with their family one day and they never came back and no one ever knew anything and it was just left derelict. It was mental. But that's what I'm imagining. I was trying to describe this house just this week to someone and I was like, just forget about it. You don't understand what (laughs) it's like. You'll you'll never understand. You'll You'll never never understand. And that's what I was thinking when you were saying that. I was like, I will never be able to understand it. You're describing it Mm. as I'm, I'm underwater. I'm drowning. It's the only thing I need is to get food into me Mm. as in you need air. And it just sounds so dramatic but, and but horrible. That, yeah, exactly. And but that's how intense, and that's that's almost like how little time you have to treat it. Yeah, it's and that's why it's so similar to being underwater. Because when you wake, right? Say for example, I wake up. The lowest I ever was was one point nine or one point seven. So what's that for the Americans? What happens at zero? That's, that's 30. Uh, zero, you're going to pass out. Okay. But you should. So 1.7 for, for me was the lowest I ever had. And that's that's the equivalent of 30 in America. So a lot of people would pass out at that number. And I potentially could have too. But what I was saying, it's so similar to being underwater is if you get a reading that low, it's almost like the time you have to treat it is the same amount of time that you have to hold your breath. Mm. So... I probably had three, four, five minutes to, to treat that low or else I was on the floor. Jeez. That's the reality of it. Like, And it must be scary because you know in your head you're that low and you know it's just around the corner that you could pass out. Mm. That must be frightening. Yeah, it's mad. Wow. And as well, because you, you just wake up. So you're kind of like, you're kind of like disillusioned anyway. What about and the then, opposite? What about waking up? really high so at a really high blood sugar you're a lot less likely to wake up so compared to a low blood sugar you with a low blood sugar more often than not you will wake up hopefully you will wake up but with a high blood sugar you can sleep longer without realizing all right so I suppose you you could go a full six, seven, eight hours sleep with high blood sugars or blood sugars that are kind of consistently rising. And then as a result of that, you will wake up when your alarm goes off or whatever. And that feeling is, oh, it's like, it's like someone's sitting on your face when you wake up and you've had about 20 pints the night before. It feels as if you've had one of the heaviest nights of your life. It's rotten. Have you ever had a high and been hung over at the same time? Oh, plenty of times. Oh my God, that must be horrendous. Because the amount of times that I've been out, I've been drinking and then I've eaten something on the way home, hoping that it would help me and then possibly fell asleep before taking insulin or didn't take enough insulin. And then she wake up and you've actually had about 20 pints. And, <laughs> that's and, 40 pints. <laughs> yeah, that's the equivalent of 40 pints. So as you can see, just from our, our brief chats so far, I'm laughing now. The, the thought of a high or a low blood sugar throughout the night is just a nightmare. Mm. So 
you need to do everything you can to to ensure you have that flat line throughout the night and any diabetic listening knows how difficult it can be just to have a normal night's sleep like as we all know everything is more complicated when you live with diabetes and even when we're trying to just fall asleep and like escape the yeah. world for a few hours nope you'll have highs you'll have lows you'll have diabetic dreams it's madness so obviously the optimal goal is to get a flat line that is what yeah. we want to get absolutely 100 percent. so is there any way you well how do you do it how do you ensure that you get that flat line when you're asleep and then for when you wake up so you can start the day well so i'm i suppose i would describe myself as quite a disciplined person particularly with my diabetes so there are steps that i take each and every night to ensure that i do kind of have that flat line now saying that i don't have it all the time because your diabetes can be so uncertain and unpredictable at times but there are steps that you can take to to make sure that you stay as steady as possible so what i do every night is i stop eating about two hours before i go to bed i go to bed at about 10 30 I know I'm pretty wild staying up so late. <laughs> I go to so, bed at half eight. So, <laughs> do you, what time do you get up at? Uh, quarter past five. So you uh, not that actually much before you, because I know you go to the gym so early. I get up at five thirty, and then the slot, the first slot in the gym is six. So mm. I go to bed about eight thirty, and then I'm asleep by hopefully nine fifteen. I read a book and then kind of doze off. Then that's yeah, that's so early. But I suppose you get up so early, so yeah. it makes sense. But anyway, we're going off on a tangent. No we one digress. cares about you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> have my own radio show. <laughs> yeah. You've your own podcast. Stop talking about yourself. So, <laughs> so what I do, what I do to try and stay steady throughout the night is, as I said, I avoid eating about two hours before I go to bed. So I'll have my last meal or snack, like what I kind of snack on, like maybe a protein bar. Well, mostly just like fruit or something. Mm that I know won't have a major impact on my blood sugar. So stop eating about two hours before I go to bed. And then the meal that I have as my last meal is never going to be really high in carbohydrate. So it's either going to be very low in carbohydrate or it won't have any carbohydrate at all. Now I do that because that means the meal before that is at about six o'clock. And between the time of six o'clock and 10.30 when I go to bed, that's a that's a big space for my blood sugar to settle. All right. So when I go to bed and I check my blood sugar at whatever it is, 10, 15, 10, 30, around that time, what my blood sugar is at that time is a good indication of where it's going to be when I wake up. So it's already had that four, four and a half hours to kind of settle down because I haven't been eating a huge amount of carbohydrate. Now I know proteins and fats impact your blood sugar too but not as much as carbohydrate. So when I get into my bed, check my blood sugar, I know that where I'm at is pretty much where I'm going to be. So if I'm high, I'll be able to treat it before I go to bed. And if I know I'm on the way down, I'll be able to like eat a couple of glucose tablets to bring me back up and hopefully keep me steady throughout the night. So simple changes like that, like just maybe... Avoid eating two hours before you go to bed or lowering your carbohydrate intake before you go to bed is going to have a massive, massive impact. And 
more often than not a beneficial impact on your blood sugar throughout the night. So they're kind of like the two main tips that I can have. What if people have training, they play sports after work in the evening Mm -hmm. time, maybe eight o'clock and they have a match. Will that affect their sleep? Obviously you have to prepare as if you are doing your sports as well, but it's so hard to drill it down to one answer. I know, Mm. but in general, if you were gymming in the nighttime, do you generally avoid that? If if I was to gym at night, I used to gym at night all the time. So of course, exercise is going to have a a huge impact on your blood sugar. There we go. The the weekly voice break on each podcast. (laughs) It just happens every time. Anyway, uh, when I used to go to the gym, it's it's usually with diabetes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah actually when i was doing when i did the tv interview i was freaking thinking please don't break your voice please don't break your voice anyway so when i used to go to the gym later on in the day i used to go maybe eight or nine so i would only do weights now i know weights will have a big impact on your blood sugar too more often than not you will see a spike when you do resistance training so I would always avoid cardio because I find cardio is a lot more difficult to keep yourself steady because you can see a spike and then you can drop over a long period of time. You, your blood sugar can even be affected over a 24-hour period after you exercise. So of course, if you're training after work or you're going to the gym after work, it's definitely going to be more complicated mm. to keep yourself steady. But It's all about just keeping track and monitoring your own blood sugar around your training because everybody's going to be different. Everybody's blood sugar is going to act a different way. But for you, it's important to keep track of your blood sugar around your training and spot those patterns and spot those trends so you can keep steady as much as you can. I remember you touching on it before. I don't think we went into it in great detail. And I'd say it's relevant in this week's episode, but the dawn effect. Mm. what's the story with that yeah. as well as what, what can be so frustrating is you can have a perfect stringent routine before you go to bed your blood sugars can be spot on and you know that they're going to sail flatlined that whole way through your sleep into the morning you can do everything in your power to keep them steady but you can still be slapped in the face with the dawn effect, which is so frustrating. So basically, the dawn effect or the dawn phenomenon is basically an early morning increase in your blood sugar. So typically between 2 a.m. or 8 a.m., this can depend on each person, each, each diabetic. So it's basically a natural release of the hormones cortisol, glucagon, epinephrine, or also known as adrenaline. So it's a surge of these hormones to to ensure that there's like an influx of glucose or, or a massive release of glucose into your bloodstream to kind of naturally kickstart your body into your day. So it's much like when you're stressed, it's like the fight or flight response of, you know, this release of glucose into your bloodstream to offer more energy into your body to kind of kickstart you. So it's it's your body's natural kind of alarm clock nearly to an extent just to kind of give yourself energy waking up so obviously for somebody like you graham who doesn't have diabetes your your body is going to naturally then your pancreas will naturally secrete insulin to counteract that glucose spike but if you're lucky enough to have diabetes like me 
your body will not do that. So you could be asleep, your blood sugars could be perfect, and it could be 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., dawn phenomenon kicks in, and boom, blood sugar just spikes. And that can be very, very frustrating because waking up in the morning with high blood sugar like we have yeah. like we have spoken about is is not a pleasant feeling and not a good positive start to your day. So unfortunately, there isn't much you can do about the dawn phenomenon because it's, a, as I said, a natural bodily function. But there are certain things you can do to try and avoid it. So what you can do is, like I said, you can try to avoid large amounts or carbohydrates in general before you go to bed you can try adjusting your insulin dose around your bed around your bedtime your basal insulin which is like your long-lasting background insulin you can suppose if you if you see it happening quite regularly you can speak to your doctor and potentially you could change your medication or change your insulin but obviously you need to speak to your doctor about that you could change when you take your insulin. So like I said, you can either change the amount or you can change the time that you take it. And if you're on an insulin pump, you don't really need to worry about this because when your blood sugar spikes, an insulin pump is going to automatically administer insulin into your body. But if you're suffering from a bad and you're just on insulin pens, another option for you is to set an alarm around the time that you see a spike. So you could set an alarm for like 2 or 3 a.m., take insulin, and then go back to bed. Now, a lot of people wouldn't be too keen on doing that. So it depends on kind of how that fits into your day and what time you get up in the morning and that kind of thing. But unfortunately, if you're like myself and you live on insulin pens, you obviously administer insulin manually so you can't really do anything about uh, an early morning spike, unfortunately. Well, there we have it. The dawn effect slash phenomenon. I was, I, I always struggle saying that word. There's phenomenon. another one of the 42 factors covered your blood sugars while you sleep. Thank you very much, Owen. And I know this episode, we're recording it maybe a week before it goes out. It actually is exactly a week before it goes out. But when we're looking into the future is going to be about two weeks till you start the fitter, healthier, happier project. That is if people are listening to this weekly. However, if people are listening to this in, I don't know, 2021 or 2022, maybe Owen will have something brand new for you. But for people who are listening, people who listen to this weekly and we are in September 2020, well, you could be listening to this in the future and thinking, wow, remember September 2020 when the coronavirus was here? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Those poor guys living during those times. What an unbelievable year it's been. Tell us more about the Fisher Healthier, Happier Project. If people have been hearing you touch on it over the last couple of weeks and have maybe been thinking about it. Two weeks, I think it starts. It's the mm. 5th of October. Give us another quick rundown of it. Oh, two weeks. When this comes out, it's going to be two weeks. So that means it's only going to be a week left to sign up. Okay. So it starts on the 5th, but won't be taking on any more members the week before the 5th, unfortunately, because we'll need to get everybody set up, their meal plans, their workouts made, and them ready to go. So fitter, healthier, happier project is something I am hugely excited about. It's an eight-week group program for diabetics by a diabetic, which is me. So it's for all ages, 
only diabetics. Ah, sorry, Graham. <laughs> and it's for people of all fitness levels. So you can be advanced in the gym, or you could just be starting your fitness journey. Everybody's welcome. Your nutrition plan, your workout plan, and your macronutrient breakdown are going to be specifically tailored for you. So you don't need to worry about not being able to keep up with somebody else or being too advanced for somebody else. Every program is going to be customized, but we're going to work as a group on the same times, the same days. And as I said before, you will get the insulin recipe books, which are high protein, low carb recipes, 85 plus in there. So you'll be cooking a lot well you don't have to follow them for the meal plan but you can use them well into the future mm. <laughs> you love them and the best part about it is the fact that you will have the chance to connect with loads of other diabetics around the world just like you on a similar journey working with me getting fitter getting healthier getting happier so if you want to sign up or you want to just find out more details about it you can go onto my website which is insulone.com forward slash fitter healthier happier project i'm just going to say that about the connection with the online community because Mm. every time you get a guest on one of their main things they say is how much the online community helps them so this is definitely if you are maybe listening to the podcast and you haven't really gotten in into the community this is perfect because you've got the private facebook group as well Mm. where you can kind of chat meet people add them online as friends and then who knows become type one diabetic friends forever if you have any questions (laughs) for the podcast uh, you can email us theinsulowenpodcast at gmail.com and we'll do our very best to get into them. And I know this week as well, a lot of people have been sharing the podcast on their socials, especially mm. on Instagram story. Give Owen oh, a tag no. at Insulone. He'll give it a share. It's great to get the word out there and for uh, it's good for us as well to see that people are really enjoying the podcast. So that's really good. Absolutely. It means a lot. And for anybody listening who may have sent me a message on Instagram I apologize if I haven't gotten back to you yet. I don't have a massive following, but I do get a lot of messages. So I apologize if I haven't got back to you. I do try to get back to everyone. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to to message me at any time. So please do it if you want to get in touch. And as we said, really appreciate you listening to the podcast. And I look forward to chatting to you next week. Graham, have a fantastic week. Owen, you too. Enjoy your time off. Chat to you later. Thank you. Well, I don't get time off. (laughs) Diabetes is a full-time job. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go again. (laughs) Good luck. See you later.